0: We present the News Quiz with your host, Sandy Togsby.
1: Hello and welcome to the News Quiz. We start with a cutting from the BBC News website read by Zeb Sones.
0: There are just a few dozen hours until the BBC election 2015 programme goes on air and a 60-year-old tool swings into action. <laughs>
1: And our thanks to Robert Broadley for sending that in. Now, let's meet the teams. Will you welcome first, on my right, Jeremy Hardy and Samira Ahmed. And opposite them on my left, Ellis James and Susan Kalman. Jeremy, who thinks that Chucker can...
2: All various people in the Labour Party. The Labour Party um, lost the general election rather badly.
1: Oh, hang on, and, two points. That's right. And good. are now
2: looking for someone to lead them to defeat in 2020. <laughs> and uh, some people think it should be somebody more like Tony Blair, because Tony Blair had a way of connecting with people, especially in Iraq. He could get right—he could get right into their homes and you know, silence any doubts they might have about his sanity. Um, and of course, David Miliband ruled himself out by having a massive flounce and puncing off to America when he lost legitimately to his younger brother. And I suppose that the Milibandites are kind of wanting there to be a sort of supply leader temporarily who will lose in 2020 and then will be the moment in the means because he hasn't got a seat anymore, David. Because the wicked younger brother Ed wickedly framed him as a horse thief and he had to run away to see. <laughs> <laughs> And he will be smuggled back into the country in a rowing boat, disguised as a shepherdess. <laughs> and then he will hide in an oak tree, burning a spider. <laughs> and so the people who have declared so far... Yvette Cooper, who gets to stay later at work, now she's got a house husband at home. <laughs> Mary Cray just declared, I think she's international development. She's another right? And Andy Burnham, who's a scouser, and they think he might be good, because he's Norden, and people will think... That's more like the Labour Party ought to be. More like Andy Burnham.
3: Let's face it, you're really happy, aren't you, when you're miserable like this? Yeah. <laughs> the period in the wilderness just one gets the feeling it's when the left is often happiest.
2: Because people say, oh, yeah, you get lots of material. And I think I, people sort of think, yeah, that's what we care about, comedians yeah. on the left. <laughs> Never mind the faces of the poor being ground into the dirt. Satire is what feeds <laughs> us. <laughs>
4: Band let's just spare a thought. Aww. Dancing round his stone of promises to the Venga boys in Ibiza.
2: <laughs> he was surrounded by people who wanted him to lose. And I mean that whole I mean that huge stone that they made in the tablet of stone, you think, as though he doesn't look Jewish enough, <laughs> make him stand. <laughs> let's garner the rest of the anti Semitic vote in the country against Labour Party.
1: <laughs> So now that's what I want to know. It's in a garage is it... somewhere. Is it? He was gonna what was he, gonna put, it? he was gonna put it in the Rose Garden at number ten where Clegg's career is buried. Um...
2: <laughs> I think Cameron ought to resign. All the other party leaders have resigned. It's only fair. <laughs> Sandy's resigned, everyone's resigned. <laughs> Jim Murphy hasn't resigned.
4: No, he hasn't. In some ways I admire someone who has lost fifty odd seats in Parliament but goes yeah, I'm not going anywhere, actually, thanks for it. I'm quite happy here. And it's real- just not answering any questions about it at all. i just
5: just is all those jobs I got sacked from, I could have just stayed.
4: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the way to do it. You just... I mean, in the next series of the News Quiz, Sandy will still be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just yeah. sitting behind whoever's hosting it, just staring. No,
6: absolutely. I,
5: I got sacked from Transco when I had a real job, the gas pipe people, for slouching. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I gas pipes are quite low. Surely <laughs> <slouching> is, <laughs> no, is part of the job, my,
5: uh, my line manager's friend found me in the toilet and I was just leaning my face against the window going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. <laughs> and then he came in and uh, he looked at me and I said, do you not do this after you've gone to the toilet as well? <laughs> uh, and then I walked back into the office and this bloke was going to my boss. He was just leaning against the mirror in the toilet going, oh God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And then I got sacked.
3: You know, they didn't sack Nick Clegg for that, though, did <laughs> they? <laughs> well, I,
5: I read up on the Labour Party uh, candidates for the leadership and um, it's, it's a mixed bunch, isn't it? And people are disillusioned with the Westminster politics. Like Tristram Hunt is a very clever man, but I have never, ever met anyone like him Whereas you just know that with half of the Scottish nationalist MPs, they will have smashed iPhone screens. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to that.
1: And the Labour Party has announced it will wait until the autumn to select a new party leader after abandoning attempts to hold a speedy contest. Modernisers want to see the party move back to the centre, which should be easy since the SNP has stopped Labour getting anywhere north of Carlisle. (laughs) Among those currently in the race are Yvette Cooper, Andy Burnham and Liz Kendall, hotly followed by Dick Dastardly and Penelope Pitstop. (laughs) Two points to Jeremy. Ellis, have a listen to this. DNA to make that strange noise. Is it? <laughs> uh, Ellis, who's been disrupting the order order south of the border?
5: Well, it was the first day at work for 56 SNP MPs and they ruffled some feathers so they had their induction and they behaved like a stag do. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, LAUGHTER well, my my favourite one is that Roger Mullin, when they were shown around the House of Commons, uh, had a selfie taken on the dispatch box, pretending to be David Cameron, <laughs> which is exactly what anyone else would do.
1: <laughs> Look at that!
5: Take it now. <laughs> <laughs> and they got told they off. They were
1: cross about that, weren't they? They, they were very... it was, it's, Apparently, it's impolite to be photographed at the dispatch box. Yes. Wait till they find out he's drawn a willy on it. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and and also they were told, oh, you're not meant to clap. You're meant to shout, here here if you agree with something, and no, if you disagree, and if you're Michael Heseltine, you're allowed to swing the mace around your head if you think there are communists. So, so when they got told that you're not allowed to clap, a couple of them started clapping. <laughs> and then they all joined in and clapped for ages. <laughs> it's like a mad school trip, but... Um... So, uh, so Yeah, they just don't care about any of the, sort of the protocols, which I find very refreshing. And also, Mary Black, obviously, is the youngest yeah. MP since... Is it 1667? And she's 20 years of age. And it's that interesting thing where, in years to come, people are going to say, Oh, what did you do with your gap year? <laughs>
1: I looked it up, actually. The youngest ever MP was Christopher Monk, who was 13 and a half when elected in 1667. Obviously, he's no longer around. He's now
4: a Tory peer. But uh... Uh, I just wanted to set the record straight on on one thing, if Mm. I may, about the uh, pre-election coverage. There was a lot of coverage about uh, the SNP and uh, one particular newspaper dubbed Nicola Sturgeon the most dangerous woman in uh, Scotland. Now, I was at university uh, with Nicola Sturgeon, and I can quite happily say to everyone she is not the most dangerous woman in Scotland. It's Lulu, as we all know. (laughs) But uh, I find it incredibly refreshing that they are uh, going to uh, Westminster and uh, doing what they are there to do, which is mix things up, to be honest with you. And the Daily Mail said that that Nicola Sturgeon was the most dangerous enemy he'd ever faced. Now, if that's true... If facing a woman who's educated with an opinion is the most frightening thing he comes across, he shouldn't be the Prime Minister, as far as I'm concerned. But also, she turned
1: up at Parliament uh, on a horse carrying a sword. I think that was terrible.
4: <laughs> it's quite... It's actually... It's a really interesting thing. The, the most challenging thing, I think, for the political establishment is the fact that people trust and believe a positive message that someone has put forward. And that is terrifying for people, that these MPs have come down. Not everybody in Scotland voted for them, but people believe that they're going to mix things up. Now, I cannot wait for the first Prime Minister's questions to see what happens. There's 56 of them. I'm delighted they've gone in. Why shouldn't you clap in the House of Commons? Who's told you you can't do that? Clap away. Go on for it. There we go. Also,
5: I've performed in front of big groups of Scottish people at the Edinburgh Festival, and if the worst thing they're doing is clapping. I would be absolutely
1: (laughs) thrilled with that They're calling... uh, Some people are already calling Nicola Sturgeon the Iron Lady, which is clearly offensive. Uh, She's clearly the Iron Brew Lady. (laughs) (laughs) You see the tweets that Mary Black tweeted when she was a teenager. They were fantastic. Uh, Woke up beside half a can of tenants and a full pizza and more money than I came out with. I call that a success.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying it's a well-funded plan to lower the deficit, but... um, (laughs) But if we're, if we're talking about people in Parliament who represent what actually happens every day, yeah. those mm. people are more representative than Sir Hujima Watte's philango face oh. uh,
1: <laughs> will ever be. Yeah, but what they're showing online and in the papers is this MP, this 20-year-old MP, and they showed pictures of her with a chip butty, didn't they? With, pic- mm. yeah. with pictures of, He's like, oh, honestly, these vacuous young women Instagramming pictures of their food, ousting senior shadow ministers, making political history and changing the world. What <laughs> next? <laughs> <laughs>
5: And also, she, she, she tweeted a lot about being drunk and rage when she was 15, and so the Daily Mail called her a colourful character. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and she said, well, you know, a lot of teenagers get drunk w- when they're 15. And I thought to myself, of course, but if you'd known you were going to be an MP at 15,
2: you would have been the weirdest 15-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> you'd have been Ed Miliband. Well, yeah.
6: <laughs> what will you make?
2: There's Oh, yeah, William Hay. He's 16 years old in the year of punk rock and he turns up at the Tory party conference looking like a vengeful old tobacconist. (laughs) People of my age don't know we're born.
1: The SNP's new intake of 56 MPs have arrived at Westminster for the first time since the party's huge success in the general election, with UKIP shaking their heads about a bunch of foreigners moving here and putting a lot of English people out of work. (laughs) Uh, The papers called it a Scottish invasion, whereas a more factual headline might be citizens travel to another part of the country. (laughs) The SNP flew down together in a plane while the Lib Dems arrived on four tandems. (laughs) Two points to Ellis. Samira, who has restocked their cabinet in matching shades of blue?
3: Well, it's not a coalition, so much to his delight, David Cameron, can choose a cabinet, and he's decided to choose, you know, lots of people who he can... ..might genuinely disagree with him rather than just oh. Liberal Democrats, and he's got... <laughs> <laughs> so the, the big moves have been kind of Greg Hans, the Chief Secretary to the Treasury... Boris, quite interestingly, is a minister. Is not a minister, but will attend special separate meetings of a political cabinet, which is like we've made up a new system. And the one that I'm quite interested in is Culture Secretary. So the former Culture Secretary, Sajid Javid, has been promoted to business. And what we all noticed, anyone who works in arts journalism, is when he got appointed to culture, we were all asking for interviews and what, what would you like to talk about and we could talk about Star Trek if you like. And even that didn't kind of make him come on. But his first public announcement was about mobile phone reception and has never given an interview to a lot of arts programmes. And yet, the day of the announcement, he was straight out there with a speech. Or ready to shows you when you're ready to go. So John Whittingdale, who is the new Culture Secretary, is that interesting thing. He's a Culture Secretary, actually knows about culture. So, apparently, the last concert he went to was Deep Purple. <laughs> he claims to have been a punk. And he loves classical music and the ballet, so that's kind of quite a broad range. But the main thing, obviously, people know is that he has described the BBC licence fee as a poll tax. But the feeling is that he wants the BBC not to be making stuff that people want to watch necessarily, but stuff oh. that's good for you. Ah. And that's, you know, sort of... Well, he's specified things like religion, children... If um... they stop making dark, my mum will lose her mind. <laughs>
4: <laughs> she lives for that man taking his top off on a Sunday night. <laughs>
3: It does count as historical culture, though. It, but, so if you, if you put it in a historical
4: context, you can just have men taking their tops off? Yeah,
3: it's, it's also agricultural, because he's scything.
1: <laughs> Is that what they're calling it now? <laughs> I had hoped if the Tories
2: got a majority, they wouldn't feel the need to talk about their knowledge of contemporary music because it is so tedious and annoying. And you get Cameron going on about the bands he likes, and you think, oh, you just it? shut up. You think Van Morrison is poor people's Ocado. You know,
3: he just the... Um... <laughs> Before he was a shadow minister, David Cameron was running the publicity for the relaunch of the Tory party, and one of the big innovations was going to get people to see the real personalities of all the Tory shadow cabinet, and so he'd made them shoot all these films where they had to say things like, this is Theresa May, and I've never forgotten it, it's like, my favourite album is Fields of Gold by Sting. Yeah. And one day I will interview Theresa May, and I'm going to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> course,
2: David Cameron's favourite band is Aston Villa,
6: obviously.
3: Yeah. LAUGHTER they're very
2: excited about this blue-collar conservatism because they they've got some token proles in that he's invited in just to do some of the odd jobs around Downing Street. <laughs> but, but there's this, And so Labour's got all mi- worried about this thing about aspiring. We fail to reach out to the working-class Tories, the aspiring people. And if you look at the demographics of the election, the bulk of Tory support is the over-65s. And what exactly they are aspiring to, I'm not really <laughs> sure... <laughs>
4: The way he talked about the blue-collar cabinet was interesting because he's clearly very pleased, let's let's face Mm. it. This was quite unexpected. Uh, People may call this the blue-collar cabinet. I don't think anyone had before that. People may call this the blue-collar cabinet. I mean, people may call me
3: the new Angelina Jolie, but it doesn't actually make it true. (laughs) Are you waiting for that moment when Martine McCutcheon comes in as the tea lady and he falls in love with her and everything changes? No, I
1: want, I want Boris Johnson to ask the new Equalities Minister, oh, fetch me a cup of tea, darling.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and I like the fact that Boris is allowed to attend meetings but he doesn't have a post. I like, I like the idea of... I don't know if anyone else did this at Christmas time. There was a kids' table that was slightly further away from the adults' table. I like the idea of Boris Johnson just sitting in the corner at the kids' table, watching the cabinet just plotting, you know, with a funny hat on, and some crayons just drawing what he's going to do to society.
1: Did you bring that up, Susan, because you're still not allowed at the Grand Up Table?
4: (laughs) Um,
1: OK, we still haven't mentioned my favourite person in the Cabinet. Yeah. Michael Gove, Justice Secretary, uh, Justice Secretary and Lord Chancellor. Having alienated the entire educational establishment, he's now going to turn his attention to the law. And I just love the idea of... I want to see how his confrontational style plays out with the more upbeat, freewheeling and chilled British judiciary. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think... Those, so, uh, it's... Every time I look at him, he's like... Uh, Michael Gove. The more you peel off each intricate layer of skin, the more you find yourself sobbing on the kitchen floor. It'll probably
2: have a a free courts programme where where local people can set up their own courts. (laughs) Vigilantes is an ugly word, but it'll be be local people who are concerned about justice and are unhappy with the justice system in their own area. You could call it academies or free courts (laughs) or or lynch mobs. You could call it lynch... (laughs)
1: I like the fact that the new Scotland secretary is David Mundell, who's clearly the best choice out of the one Conservative
4: Scottish (laughs) But how bad would you have felt as David Mundell if you hadn't got that job? (laughs) (laughs) Sitting there waiting for the phone call, I hope it's me,
6: I hope it's me! (laughs) That's
2: pretty much what they've done with all the other seats, is they've chosen the least appropriate person. Like The agricultural minister is a locust.
1: You're absolutely right. If there was a minister for shelves that are too high, it would have been me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> William Hague's not an MP anymore. That's a oh. loss oh. to all impressionists. <laughs> you do a rather good William Hague. I used to do
2: quite a good William Hague. <laughs> <laughs> on, on occasion, <laughs> this country face says no existential <laughs> fact.
1: And that's how Jeremy actually speaks without his medication. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Zeb, have you met Haig when you've done, like, Today Programme? Have you met Haig? He's been in. Uh, has he?
6: Has Ooh. he? I <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, David Cameron has completed his post-election Cabinet reshuffle, the first all-Conservative Cabinet since 1997. It includes more women than any previous Conservative government and also Boris Johnson. The two are not necessarily connected. <laughs> Uh, Boris was not given an actual job, but will be allowed into the cabinet as long as he doesn't get on the furniture. <laughs> Cameron has been praised for bringing a lot of female faces to ministerial offices, although half of those are just portraits of Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Two points to Samira. Susan, which kipper ain't too chipper?
4: Oh, UKIP. Listen, I hate to break it to you, but th- there's trouble afoot. Oh, no. In UKIP. Patrick O'Flynn, who's oh. the party's economic spokesman, has said to say, I think it was an interview, uh, I think it might have been a, with the Times, has said that Nigel Farage has become a snarling, thin-skinned, aggressive man. <laughs> As opposed to the jovial fella that we all knew. Um, and there are severe problems, because, of course, Farage kept his promise to resign, mm-hmm. but then... <laughs> Said, no one wants me to, and is still the leader of UKIP. Uh, this, in, in that way, I should I still know, be a Trump Yes, school. you should. <laughs> I, my thoughts about resignation is that you, you resign, and it's not like you're. You can resign if you want to. Because I saw an interview with him where he went, Well, nobody wanted This This is my Nigel Farage impression. You're all mm-hmm. very well. <laughs> do do it again.
1: No, eh? Do it again.
4: Well, nobody wanted me. Do <laughs> it <laughs> So he's still leader of UKIP, and the suggestion is now that uh, there is a coup a-brewing in UKIP because they're suggesting that it's becoming a personality cult uh, at the moment. Yes, Uh, just
1: be a little careful um, with that. Right. Uh, I, I, I just—I don't know if any of you uh, have had an opportunity to see the unfortunate piece to camera with BBC's assistant political editor, Norman Smith, but have a listen to this.
5: Let's just go through some of the language that is now being used in this simmering civil war. Earlier, we heard from Patrick O'Flynn, the party's economics spokesman, who suggested that uh, those around Mr Farage had turned him into a snarling, thin-skinned, aggressive man and that there was a danger, he said... In this article in the Times, of the party turning into quotes an absolutist monarchy, or personality, <laughs> and <laughs> personality cult.
4: Look, some, somebody had to see it eventually. <laughs> It's a wish, if you if you watch, it's a wee- he knows straight away, he knows, <laughs> saying, oh, 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 it's a, oh, no, 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 no. And, uh, the well, pro- if you watch it carefully, he says it the first time, and then he corrects himself and says it a second <laughs> time. <laughs>
1: yeah. Before coming out with the correct word, it's
4: heaven. They're, they're shoring up support, I suspect, there's they're demanding some form of vote, so that Mr Farage might be ejected as leader, despite yeah, but, what he says. But in fairness, how do you replace such a charismatic, popular and, above
1: all, sexy leader? I, I don't envy the news be quiz all... bosses. <laughs> <laughs>
6: all,
5: the, the thing I can't get over is that he was called uh, thin-skinned. Mm, mm. So the idea that this sort of Nigel Farage... the Big boisterous bloke down the pub. If you take the mickey, he just goes home and he's like, they're really nasty to me down at the dock and dirt, guys. Like, asking a cabby, excuse me, do you mind turning LBC down? And then you can just see a solitary tear rolling down his cheek in the rearview mirror. But
1: Patrick O'Flynn, who's the one who said all this, is rather a uh, sad figure himself, I think. He was previously the political editor of the Daily Express. It's like being economic editor for Playboy. I mean, it's. <laughs> and um, in the election, he came fourth in Cambridge with 5.2% of the vote. Now, this... I mean, Lib Dems, you'd crack out the carver in the streamers, but, um... <laughs>
3: It's not fabulous, is it? There's also this amazing ability um, to self-destruct. Now, to be fair, UKIP, mainly because of Nigel Farage, did poll, I think, 4 million votes, but the the way that they self-destruct so fast, there's a row over the £650,000 of funding they're entitled to because that MP, that Douglas Cardwell, doesn't want them to be spending straight away on 15 new staff. But also, I was at at a count, and UKIP were really fighting for that seat, and they did push Labour into third place. It was battled in South and East Thurrock. What was fascinating was that the candidates had been deselected because he'd been caught making homophobic and racist remarks. So there was a new You're UKIP... You're not
1: serious. Amazingly <laughs> enough.
3: And there was a new UKIP candidate, but the original UKIP candidate decided to stand anyway, and they were facing off with their supporters in the hall. And so they were already divided and fighting amongst themselves. Even but
1: the, but the job of leader for UKIP just seems to be sacking people when they step out of line, so why did not they just promote somebody from HR to save time? <laughs> Internal struggles within the UK Independence Party have emerged after their campaign chief, Patrick O'Flynn, attacked leader Nigel Farage. O'Flynn says Farage has moved away from being cheerful and ebullient. Ah, oh, that old Nigel we remember, like a care bear on 40 a day. <laughs> Two points to Susan at the end of round one. The scores are Jeremy and Samira have got four points, but so too have Ellis and Susan. We start round two with a listing from the Telegraph TV Guide.
0: Easter Monday, 3.10pm. William and Kate. Fact-based drama about the relationship between Prince William and Kate Middleton, from their first meeting to their engagement. Edited for daytime broadcast.
1: (laughs) Thanks to Jay Crummy for sending us that. Ellis, who's logging on and on and on and on?
5: Ah, right. Well, um, it was in the press a lot this week that apparently uh, young people spend a day a week online. Wow. And I read that, and I thought to myself, who are these incredible (laughs) go-getters? I just couldn't believe it. A day... I am permanently glued to the internet. It reminded me that there's always those news stories, isn't there, where where it says things like, if the uh, average person gets to 70, they will spend nine years in the uh, kitchen, they'll spend three years on the toilet. I've spent three years... On the toilet on my phone I mean (laughs) I don't know what I was doing on the toilet before I had a smartphone I mean what what on earth was I thinking about I can't have been in my own head with my own thoughts can I surely but it's
1: weird because we keep checking our phones despite the fact that we have alarms that tell us if somebody's contacted us it's like continuously opening the front door on the off chance somebody (laughs)
2: Everyone does everything because if you try to sort of like get hold of anything like British Gas or the railways, it, it directs you to, to book online. You try and book a hotel. And I just think it's a shame because everything is just over-researched. I mean, when you, it used to be. When you wanted to go on holiday, you'd sort of go to a travel agent in the high street and you said, I'd like to go somewhere, please. And they'd say, have you thought about abroad? You'd say, I don't know, what's that like? they everyone's very friendly. you say, OK, I'll go abroad then. And they'd say, you're going to Sorrento. Am I? Yes, you're going to Sorrento. You'll fly to Naples, you'll get this taxi to the, this hotel. And you, and you never questioned any of this. You just went along with it and you were grateful. Whereas now you spend a whole year researching online, and you're just about to agree. Oh, no! Someone on TripAdvisor's criticised the soap dish! Oh, we're back (laughs) to
6: square (laughs) one!
2: People are dating on, like, oh, don't... I know people who are like, five nights a week. But I, met my,
4: I met my wife
2: uh, internet dating. No. Did you? No, didn't yeah. you put an advert in the paper saying if you liked Well, it wasn't, it was, Well, it was a, it was a, was a
4: personal oh, ad. Why
2: couldn't you have just got some grit in your eye on a train station with Rachmaninoff in the background?
4: Well, it may surprise you, Jeremy, but they weren't flocking round me, so I
6: decided... <laughs> <laughs> well, I
4: decided to put an advert in, and I, I lied. I said I was five foot seven... I said I, I liked poetry and fine wine. And luckily, my wife was so drunk when she read it, she phoned me, and that's how we met. Through what? I know, it's so romantic, isn't it? <laughs> um,
5: Before you got into online dating, what was your technique for sort of pulling? Well,
4: I would go to a bar and sit in a black polo neck reading an intellectual book, and then I'd go home.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Having spoken to no one. Yeah.
4: Here. I would I would go to the same
5: nightclub in Cardiff and I would stand. <laughs> and then I would
6: go on.
1: I think we spend more time on the internet because cats have really upped their game.
4: I do. They've got
1: a lot funnier
4: in the last fifteen years the thing is, I being self-employed, I calculated f- for the show, I spent three days of the past seven in total online, and that's because I've got no-one to speak to. I just... The internet's my friend. And the other day, someone phoned up uh, my landline. I, that was frightening. Yeah. The landline. I knew my mum wasn't around, so I knew it wasn't her. And someone said, oh, are you interested in a conservatory? And I talked to them for about half... I live <laughs> in a flat. I live in a flat, so I don't... I can't have... It. <laughs> But I just wanted a chat, like, with an actual human being. Are you sure you uh, didn't miss
1: here? And it was somebody from the Scottish Conservatives trying to
6: <laughs>
1: find anybody who's interested. Um, I have to, I, I think the internet has improved my life. I now Skype my children all the time. I mean, they live at home, but I can mute them. It's,
3: um... <laughs> well, don't you? I mean, I text my children, or they text me from upstairs to tell me stuff. What I love is when my mum texts me, she
4: always signs off mum. Like, anyone yeah. else is going to be asking me the questions that that woman is asking me. <laughs> Have you got a proper job yet, Mum? Uh,
1: the emergence of tablets and smartphones means people are spending twice as long online as a decade ago, according to a poll by Ofcom, with the average time spent online now nearly one full day a week. Today, we spend more time glued to our tablets and phones than ever, uh, but on a positive note, we spend less time dying of smallpox and wearing leg warmers, so. <laughs> Progress isn't all bad. Two points to Alice. Susan, have a listen to this. Might it soon be MI 2.5?
4: Are we not going to mention what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> it was. What, what a lovely, polite audience, just going... <laughs> God, the production values have really dropped <laughs> off. Do you know what it was? Uh, that was the 007 James Bond theme, wasn't yes, it? Yes. But, <laughs> but why um, might we have such a cheap version of it? Well, uh, David Cameron has launched a review of defence and security because he has pledged to protect the armed services, so he's looking for a way of protecting them. And one of the ways that might happen is that spying... Mm is reduced although I suppose none of us would ever notice Uh, but uh, they're going to potentially uh, MI5 and MI6 are are maybe going to be uh, reduced in order to protect the armed services now There'll be fewer spies, which, I, I don't know, more of an army, fewer spies.
1: If you had to choose, though, between cutting the budget of the army or the spy agency, it's probably best to pick the ones who don't own tanks, I would think, if you were going to make an enemy.
4: So you would want to have more, more soldiers, because, more soldiers because they've got soldiers tanks, you don't tanks, and them fewer spies.
1: Yeah. Few- be, how many times are we going to say this? <laughs> <laughs>
2: it might I just... just be they've, their gear's not as, as high-tech. Because on Spooks, you think, oh, that's what MY5 is really like, where they stand in some sort of huge sort of atrium with all this big gadgetry and screens, and somebody says, get me a close-up of the childhood memories of all the people with freckles in the Leicester area, and then it just <laughs> appears on the screen. Whereas in reality, they're just people looking over the top of newspapers in parks. Yeah. <laughs>
5: It always strikes me as quite weird that I know where the MI5 building is. Oh, you think you know. <laughs> but also, that one thing that really ruined my enjoyment of James Bond is I realised that he's a public sector worker. <laughs> and suddenly, all those scenes where he's with Miss Moneypenny, I was imagining him sort of handing in his receipts for lunch expenses and being told that he's going to get a 1% pay decrease in real terms, and I'm going, out. Oh.
1: God. we yeah. wouldn't have this problem if James Bond hadn't wasted all that money throwing the Queen out of a helicopter, <clears throat> that's all I'm saying.
4: I always wanted to be a spy. I mean, it was unlikely, but I've always thought I would be quite a good... Because a spy is someone you don't notice. Like, when you watch these films and, and the, the lady spies are all glamorous and stuff and sexy... It's hard work, oh, yeah.
1: like, though, uh, Susan, you being a spy. I've read my John Le Carrier, and you have to double up as soldiers and tinkers and tailors and stuff.
5: <laughs> I'd be a terrible spy, because I mean? get stress-related eczema. <laughs>
3: Oh God, it's itching! Yeah. Oh no 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 no
2: no! What do you know?
3: <laughs> <laughs> Loads!
2: Ah, Mr. Bunn, what an unexpected rash! <laughs>
1: Uh, Prime Minister David Cameron has launched a review of defence and security amid warnings that Britain's spy agencies may face cuts to fund army spending. The Strategic Defence and Security Review 2015 will define the future role of the military and will be the least entertaining review since Mike Reid's UKIP conference <laughs> sketch show. Uh, Britain's spy agencies include MI5, MI6, GCHQ and WikiLeaks. Actually, the same thing has happened to the, uh, to the Danish spy agencies. They're recalling all their sleeper agents. Did I mention I'm leaving? Um, LAUGHTER At the end of round two, the scores are Jeremy and Samira have got eight points, but so too have Ellis and Susan. (laughs) We start round three with a headline from Reuters.
0: Robotic glove could help stroke
1: survivors. (laughs) Our thanks to Richard Mills for sending us that. Jeremy, why might the pill popping be stopping?
2: Oh, the Royal, oh, the Academy of Royal Colleges or something, which is the, the body of when all the doctors all get together and, and then sober up and then try and think of something to say. Um, they've said that there's too much stuff going on in the NHS, that basically because it's marketized and people get paid for everything that they do and every appointment and everything they prescribe and every treatment they do or every test they do, that way too much stuff is being done and that people are being given pointless diagnoses like you've only got 40 years to live and things like that, in in, in my case. and um, Because, you know, you get to an age where it's important to have... I had my prostate tested recently by a young doctor. She was probably in her late 20s, and I felt a bit bad because I went in. She said, would you prefer a male doctor? And stupidly I said, oh, I don't really care, not realising she was desperately hoping that I would say yes, please... (laughs) But men are quite slow women. You've got to spell things out for us. You've got to say, would you prefer a male doctor? Say yes, say yes, say yes. And you say, "Ah, oh, yes, I would prefer a male doctor. And they say, oh, thanks, I've just had my nails done. <laughs> and then, bizarrely, bizarrely, she said, uh, before she performed the act, she said, would you like a chaperone? <laughs> I thought, well, unless we're going for a stroll in a walled garden, not... I don't really have the hat for that, so. <laughs> but I, I mentioned this to I met a, a G, I met um, I met a GP who was close to my age, a, a lady who was my more my age. I said I told her the story. She said, "Well, she knew." I said, "Oh yeah, she must have been. She's
1: only in her twins. Oh, I don't bother with
2: that. I'm straight up there. She said. <laughs>
1: about the whole thing about things that are not really necessary I was on the one show and there was a doctor on who uh, does a brilliant thing where he can help uh, cure curvature of the spine and so on by putting a metal rod in and it expands and makes a person stand up straight anyway I went up to him afterwards and I said that's so brilliant that you do that and the first thing he said to me was three months I could make you six inches taller
4: <laughs> Thanks.
6: I don't know what to say. I, I,
4: my... I would be very upset if you became six inches taller, Sandy. You're the only person I can look in the eye.
5: <laughs> my, uh, my mum is small, and uh, we went as a family to visit the London Dungeon tourist attraction. We passed a sort of a model of a sort of medieval person being tortured on a rack. And my mum looked at me and went, "Oh, I could have done with a bit of that when I was younger. And I thought...
6: <laughs> <laughs> I
4: it
5: wasn't and... a cosmetic
4: thing, <laughs> yeah. I once went to an art gallery, and I was standing looking at the paintings. wasn't really interested, but I was trying to look intelligent. And uh, I was looking wistfully at a painting, and a woman came past and went, "Get on the bus now!" And she thought I was part of the school (laughs) trip. Please tell me you got on the bus, please. I got a free meal. (laughs) I got lunch.
1: Doctors have been urged to cut down on pointless tests and treatments. The Academy of Medical Royal Colleges says that while patients expect to receive a pill or an operation when they visit the doctor, it can often do more harm than good. Having said that, the Labour Party has just had its balls removed and is said to be thrilled with the result. (laughs) Maureen Baker, chairman of the Royal College of GPs, urged an end to inappropriate interventions like prescribing antidepressants and invading Iraq. (laughs) The Academy says that doing nothing for a patient may actually be the best thing for them, pointing out that if you stop trying to cure people, they eventually stop coming back. (laughs) Susan, what's so bad
4: about cities breaking out in hives? It's it's, it's really the biggest story of the week, uh, I Mm. think, which has been uh, sadly overlooked by a lot of the newspapers, and that is that novice uh, middle-class beekeepers are causing an increase in swarms in city centres. I think... I know some of you didn't know about it, but I'm just warning you. Um, Middle-class people, and the papers were quite specific that they were middle-class people, who want to save bees, are um, keeping bees, but don't quite understand how to control the bees. And uh, what happens is bees swarm when they're looking for a new home. And so in city centres, like in Chichester the police had to put a cordon up to prevent the public from uh, encountering the swarm of bees.
1: Because cordons are famously
4: impossible to fly over. Exactly. (laughs) I just want to reassure everyone for this particular reason. I was watching BBC Breakfast Time and Bill Turnbull, who I believe is a beekeeper, and Bill Turnbull said quite specifically that you could walk into a swarm of bees and not be harmed unless you bumped into one of them. (laughs) So, if you encounter a swarm of bees, which is possible given middle-class people's penchant for keeping bees, just be careful not to bump into one of them. It'll be like The Matrix. If you've seen The Matrix, just keep moving, just keep moving, just keep moving. The only time they will sting you is if you bump into them because they notoriously hate rude people.
5: In every newspaper I read this story, they all use the same sentence. The latest middle-class fad... Of beekeeping. I thought, fat, middle. I've only just bought a cafetiere. I can't keep her. (laughs) I I didn't realise I had to start keeping bees.
1: The the real thing is that domestic beekeeping has grown because people are worried about bees dying out. It's the same reason uh, my garden has a little tiny Lib Dem shed now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) People give up their spare rooms to bees on Airbnb. (laughs) 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 I like. I like honey, but if I've got to go to the trouble
5: of keeping bees, I'm going to switch to lemon curd. It is (laughs) simply not worth the
4: trouble. I I once got quite severely injured saving a bee because I was in the the stairwell of my flat and there was a bee caught in a cobweb. And I thought, I have to save that bee. Now, I'm not a hero, I don't want anyone to... I, I went and I got a stepladder mm. and I stood in the... Ho- and I got a spoon and gently removed the bee from the cobweb and then gave it sugar water, because that's what you're meant to do, to revive the bee. So I was reviving the bee and I fell off the ladder. <laughs> but the bee was fine. <laughs> and I felt amazing. Because that bee flew away, probably to swarm, but I felt like I'd really done something. Now, I don't have a hive... But it's just one bee at a time. One day,
2: <laughs> one day, you'll be in a colosseum, and the Romans will set the bees out to attack you because you're a Christian. <laughs> and that bee, the life you saved, will buzz up to you and say, hello, Susan. <laughs> you
4: saved my life. <laughs> I a
2: thing here.
6: <laughs>
2: and, and they will be glad.
4: Just, just I was walking down the street the other day and I had, I had a red jacket on and a bee settled on my shoulder. And we just walked along the street together. And then it flew up probably the same bee. And it flew off and I just went, cheerio. And it was one of the nicest afternoons ever, just walking along the road with a bee.
1: Have you ever thought about just getting a job, you know? Just... LAUGHTER Middle-class urban beekeepers have been blamed for a recent increase in city-centre swarms. Swarming often happens when a new queen bee is born and some of the hive leave to set up a new home. The same thing happens with photographers and Kardashians. (laughs) When questioned by the Daily Telegraph, Geraldine Wright, professor of insect neuroethology at the University of Newcastle, said, ''Why are you calling me? Nobody's ever asked me about my job before.'' (laughs) final scores, has anybody got a cutting that they would like to share?
2: Sandy, this was sent in by Stephen Burstyn of Jewish London Walking Tours and it's a review of one of his tours on TripAdvisor. It says, excellent tour of Wilsdon Jewish Cemetery. Fascinating morning. Stephen really brought it to life.
5: <laughs> this is from LD McManus and Ceredigion, it's from the local parish magazine of the Dewi Sant, Llantheuniel, Llanrystid and Fried group of churches. <laughs> I mean, that is patronising. but um, <laughs> Irving Benson and Jessie Carter were married last Saturday in the church. And so ends a friendship that began in their school days.
6: <laughs> Let's take a
1: look at the final score. Ellis and Susan have got 12 points, but this week's winners are Jeremy and Samira with 13. We leave you here's a headline from the Sydney Morning Herald sent in by Kate Simpkins.
0: Australian sex party deregistered due to lack of members.
1: <laughs> and with that, goodbye.
0: Taking part in the news quiz were Jeremy Hardy, Samira Ahmed, Ellis James, and Susan Palmer. In the chair was Sandy Totsvik, and the news was read by me, Zeb Simes. The chair's script was written by Andy Walton, James Buck and John Hunter, with additional material by Kieran Nicholson, Gandhi hutchinson crouch and Max Davis. The producer was Lindsay Fenner, and it was a BBC Radio comedy production.